Well, it's the merry, merry, merry month of May. <laughs> exactly, May the 2nd. And, uh, yeah, we had uh, various May Day celebrations all over the country, celebrations and, uh, well, other things as well. But uh, we certainly hope that uh, you enjoyed the beautiful sunshine today. And uh, even though there's going to be a little uh, blip in the weather for the next few days, it's, uh, it's coming back. This is The Jazz Show on CITR. We're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. My name's Gavin Walker. And this, as I mentioned, is the month of May. May the 25th, 1926, a young gentleman was born in Alton, Illinois, and he was named Miles Dewey Davis. He became one of the most important and influential musicians in all of jazz music, and even people with the remotest interest in jazz music have at least heard of Miles Davis. They might not be able to tell you what instrument he plays, but they know Miles Davis, the name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, because he was born in 1926, this month, Miles Davis would be celebrating his 90th birthday. And so I've decided in my great wisdom, <laughs> and I say that as a joke, um, to present on all of the jazz features this month, the five Mondays in May, music by Miles Davis. And we're going to do it chronologically uh, as well. And I've selected um, a group of recordings, some of which may be a little bit unexpected, and some probably quite predictable that I would pick, uh, especially those of you that uh, might know me personally or know me through this show. Miles Davis. So that's going to be our jazz feature artist all month. And of course, uh, later on after our jazz feature, we have uh, tons more music to play for you by such a, a, a very wide variety of artists. Um, Art Pepper, um, uh, Joe Harriet, the legendary English alto saxophonist, originally from Jamaica, um, all kinds of stuff. But our focus is on our jazz feature right now, and it's the first great Miles Davis quintet. We know that Miles, in the 40s, did his apprenticeship with Charlie Parker. He was really Charlie Parker's understudy. Um, Miles' wealthy parents had sent him to New York to attend Juilliard, and Miles uh, went to a few classes and said, this is bullshit, <laughs> and went out and, and sought uh, jam sessions. And, of course, uh, ran into Charlie Parker and began uh, playing with Bird. Bird knew about Miles anyway because uh, he had heard him in earlier years when Miles was um, still living in St. Louis and playing with local bands. And uh, Bird kind of uh, took Miles under his wing. And, of course, Miles learned more from Charlie Parker, not only about music but about life, and um, continued. 
And uh, in 1948, Miles left Charlie Parker after his apprenticeship. He had established himself as a soloist and formed the legendary Birth of the Cool Band with uh, um, Gil Evans and Jerry Mulligan and Lee Konitz and uh, all those people. Um, the band was really interesting. It was very different uh, music from the music that Miles played with uh, with Charlie Parker. It was it was really it was cool jazz, and it was also orchestrated music uh, with a heavy emph- emphasis on arrangements. And of course, the instrumentation of the band was very different too, with uh, uh, French horns and tubas. And um, maybe uh, and only two saxophones, alto and baritone, Jerry Mulligan and Lee Konitz. And uh, it was an interesting band, and it was a total, total flop artistically, uh, um, um, commercially. Artistically, it was an, an amazing success, but um, financially... And uh, it, it, it was a flop. No one wanted to book the band. The, uh, the music was pretty foreign to most people. They didn't find it very exciting. And uh, fortunately, the band made some historic records for um, the Capitol label. And, of course, we treasure those albums, uh, those recordings that were made, and they became uh, what was known of the, as the birth of the cool band. And unwittingly... It was Miles Davis that really started the whole "quote unquote" West Coast jazz, which was always uh, highly arranged uh, music that uh, featured um, arrangements as much as they did the soloists in the band. And Miles was really the the forerunner of that, without him uh, even recognizing his own music as West Coast jazz. Anyway. That w- that's another story, and of course, um, then Miles went back to, uh, had a, a couple of successes, and unfortunately, in the early 50s, uh, came back from a triumphant trip to Paris, all kinds of adventures over there, and um, fell into uh, depression, lack of work, and fell into uh, using dope heroin. And Miles was hooked for about four years. He was strong enough to take himself to his dad's farm and lock himself away for 10 days, and he managed to cure himself of heroin addiction. But the comeback took a little while. Uh, He returned to New York City and then made a whole series of wonderful albums and decided that... um, he would form his own band. And this was his first major working group. And he, uh, through his buddy, uh, Philly Joe Jones, um, Philly Joe suggested several people that Miles might want to use. And, of course, Miles brought in a young bass player from Detroit. He was still in his teens, his name, Paul Chambers, one of the most, became one of the most influential bassists in modern jazz history. On piano, from Philadelphia, again at the recommendation of Philly Joe Jones, a fine, tasteful, and adaptable pianist who had a common interest with Miles in boxing. And uh, his name, Red Garland, and he had a beautiful light touch that Miles always appreciated in any piano player. He didn't like heavy-handed piano players, and Red Garland was perfect. 
So he had Paul Chambers, Philly Joe Jones, and Red Garland. Next was a partner on the front line, and Miles wanted his favorite saxophonist, Sonny Rollins. And he attempted to get hold of Sonny Rollins, but Sonny was dealing with his own issues and wasn't in New York at the time, and actually talked to Miles on the phone and said he wasn't ready. Um, he was he, Rollins was curing himself of his own addictions, and uh, he had locked himself away in Chicago and was working in a warehouse and doing um, uh, calisthenics and eating healthy and trying to get back on track, and he wasn't ready when Miles phoned. And so Miles had to continue to look for a tenor saxophonist. Uh, he auditioned John Gilmore, uh, a great one of my favorite players from Chicago, but Gilmore didn't quite work out. He wasn't quite to Miles' taste. And Philly Joe says, you know, there's another guy. He lives in Philadelphia. He's just come off the road with Johnny Hodges. His name's John Coltrane, man. You should check him out. And Miles said, well, I know Coltrane. He said, back in 1952, I had a gig at the Audubon Theater in Harlem, and I booked Sonny Rollins and John Coltrane together. Now, Sonny was way better than John Coltrane, but John Coltrane had some, had some stuff happening. And so that happened. John Coltrane came into the band, and the rest is history. And the first great quintet was formed. Now, this was a pivotal point in Miles' life because he had just been rediscovered. His performance at the Newport Jazz Festival knocked everybody out. And he was signed to Columbia Records, the largest um, international, biggest record company at the time. And this was a, a, a real feather in Miles' cap because he was on his way up. But he still had issues and a contract with Prestige Records. He had to complete his contract with that label. And so he took the quintet in in May and recorded a marathon session, which was very, very good. But it sounded, uh, on that session, it sounded like Miles Davis' band in the recording studio. Miles still had another obligation to Prestige, a second session, was done, a marathon session, in October of 1956 to fulfill his contract. And this time, somehow the band was even tighter, was more exciting, and played like they did in a club. And it was beautifully translated onto these recordings, which we're going to hear on our jazz feature. In other words, the October session was on a quite a different level from the earlier session. And the band was hot. And Miles, what Miles did, everything, all the tunes were basically done in one take. And it was basically their nightclub repertoire. Miles just called the tunes as he would in a club uh, in front of an audience um, on a couple of sets in, on a nightclub gig. And they just went from one tune to the other. And after this session was over, his contract was fulfilled with Prestige Records. And, of course, Prestige was very happy because they issued a whole series of these Miles Davis quintet records with different titles over the years, and they became the best sellers for the label. 
So there you go. So we're going to delve into, we're not going to hear the, everything that they recorded in October 26, 1956, but we're going to hear the bulk of these recordings. Um, and this is the quintet at its very best. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy this music. This is timeless music. This music is as great as Louis Armstrong's Hot Five and Hot Sevens, uh, the Ellington Small Group Records, um, uh, some of Dave Brubeck's greatest records, Charles Mingus's greatest records. This, this, the level of this music is, is so high. And this was a band that didn't favor arrangements, as Miles Davis's bands all never did. It was the soloists that carried this music. And everybody was very inspired on these recordings. So, without further ado, we take you back. And uh, we're going to actually play all of the recordings on one of the prestige albums called Cookin'. But we're going to add some more tunes from this same recording session. So we're going to take you back to October 26, 1956. Rudy Van Gelder's recording studio, the... First great quintet, Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. And we're going to begin with a little bit of conversation and play the very first tune that they recorded that day. And Miles, <laughs> you'll, you'll hear Miles' voice uh, say that... Um, uh, somebody says, what's the tune called? And Miles said, I'll play it now and tell you what it is later. And we'll hear his inimitable voice uh, telling the um, supervisor of the session, uh, Bob Weinstock, what's going on. So we open with Frank Lesser's If I Were a Bell. We're going to follow that with a Thelonious Monk composition called Well, You Needn't. And then we're going to move to a beautiful ballad. Uh, again, there's um, a little bit of an interesting start to this. Miles um, whistles down Red Garland, uh, who plays an introduction. Miles wants another kind of introduction. We hear his voice on that again. And the tune is Harry Warren's beautiful You're My Everything. Then we go from there to another great standard, nice relaxed version of uh, Rogers and Hart's I Could Write a Book. And then we get into the heavy stuff. Um, this a little bit of studio chatter again, and then we uh, are going into Sonny Rollins' great tune, Oleo. Then we're going to follow that with another Sonny Rollins composition called Erigen. And then we're going to follow that with something even faster than those tunes, a Miles Davis composition that was uh, actually expropriated from Eddie Cleanhead Vince in a tune called Tune Up. And then we're going to relax things a little bit and do a tune Uh, by Benny Carter called When Lights Are Low. And then a beautiful ballad version, uh, the only piece where we don't don't hear John Coltrane. It's a beautiful ballad version of My Funny Valentine. And we're going to end the whole set with a blues by the whole band called simply Blues by Five. So here then, the first great quintet of Miles Davis, beginning of our long May jazz feature, the music of Mr. Miles Dewey Davis.
Thank <laughs> you. 
Thank you. 
Our jazz feature this evening, a long one, we heard the bulk of the date for Prestige Records called Cookin', but we added several tracks from the 
exact same recording session and gave you uh, a lengthy uh, feature with Miles Davis and what was then known or became known as the first great quintet. And after a, a really low kind of dark period in the early 50s, Miles emerged um, by the mid-50s. And after a triumphant appearance at the Newport Jazz Festival in the summer of 1955, decided, with the help of um, his very close buddy, drummer Philly Joe Jones, formed the first great quintet. And um, I mentioned that Miles Davis... Um, was born in Alton, Illinois on May 25th, 1926. Actually, he was born on May the 26th, the following day, 1926, just to make sure that uh, we are correct on this date. But the reason for the Miles Davis feature and all the features this month is the fact that we will be celebrating the 90th anniversary of Miles Davis, and I thought that uh, this month, the month of May, would be appropriate to feature um, various recordings in chronological order from the vast catalog of Miles Davis albums. They're all influential. They all have their their own um, agenda, and of course, the mark of Miles Davis is all over um, these recordings. But this is the first great quintet, and it um, really was the first working band that uh, Miles formed and stayed together for um, a long period of time. And the people involved here, of course, Miles on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone. That wasn't Coltrane wasn't Miles' first choice. He wanted Sonny Rollins, uh, but Sonny wasn't ready to commit to the band at the time that Miles wanted him. And so after auditioning um, another saxophone player, uh, Miles again turned to Philly Joe Jones and, and said, "Who? what's happening? Who could I get? And Philly said, John Coltrane. And of course, the rest is history. So we heard Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane, tenor saxophone, Red Garland on piano, who again was a, a musician suggested to Miles by Philly Joe Jones, and also the young, then teenage bassist, who became one of the most influential uh, bass players of the 1950s and is still looked upon as a huge influence on bass players today, the great Paul Chambers. And this particular recording. Uh, this whole recording session, and we didn't hear all the tunes recorded on that day, which was October 26, 1956. The, the band was, was really hot, and, and um, they made um, two marathon recording dates for Prestige Records, which was Miles Davis's label, uh, but he had already signed with Columbia, but he did these dates to fulfill his contract with Prestige, and he did one uh, extended date in May, which is very, very good. And um, I've always maintained that they sound as though, as though they are recording in a studio, whereas this recording somehow transcends the studio, um, and this gives you an idea 
of what the band sounded like in person in a club. And this is why this recording, to me, is the superior of the two sessions. And, of course, the repertoire that Miles played and all the tunes that we heard were all done in one take. And uh, this was just the... He could turn to the band, look at the guys, and say, boom, we're going to do this tune. And uh, that's exactly the way the recording session went down. And we heard little bits of uh, studio conversation as well before the tune started, which kind of gave you a you are there um, perspective. So what we heard on this, all these selections we heard, we opened with the very first tune recorded on this session, and you could hear the band warming up on this uh, track, which is one of the reasons why I played it, and we heard Miles Davis's voice right at the beginning, speaking voice, and we went into Frank Lesser's If I Were a Bell. Then that was followed by a Thelonious Monk composition, again, part of the band's repertoire, Well, You Needn't. And then we moved to um, a beautiful ballad by uh, Harry Warren. And again, uh, we heard a little bit of Miles' speaking voice on this as he directed Red Garland that he wanted a specific kind of introduction to the tune. And the ballad performance was You're My Everything, a gorgeous tune. Then we moved from there to another great tune by Rogers and Hart called I Could Write a Book. And then we moved to some jazz originals by musicians of Miles' acquaintance, and we heard two Sonny Rollins tunes. Olio was the first one, and of course, that was considered one of the finest statements by this band, and that was followed by an even more intense version of Sonny Rollins' Erigen, and then an even more intense version of a Miles Davis composition that he co-opted from Eddie Cleanhead Vincent, a tune called Tune Up which was kind of a first cousin of uh, John Coltrane's Giant Steps, which came many years later. Then we moved to um, a great tune by Benny Carter, bringing everything down to a, a nice groove, and Miles Davis's version of When Lights Are Low. And then we heard the only tune where John Coltrane did not play on, the ballad performance, the beautiful Rodgers and Hart's Funny, My Funny Valentine. And the final tune was a collective blues by the band called Blues by Five. So that was the bulk of our jazz feature this evening, and I I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we will be doing Miles Davis again next week from another album in the evolution of Miles Davis. And this time... The next week's jazz feature will be the complete recording session that became known as Milestones, which was recorded for Columbia Records. And this was the sextet, and it was um, performed in 1958. And Coltrane had, um, and Philly Joe Jones had returned to the band, as did Red Garland, and with the addition of Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, and of course Miles Davis on trumpet. Milestones is considered one of the greatest albums in the history of jazz, and that's going to be our feature next week. So please join us as a further tribute to Miles Dewey Davis. Okay, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, or 
on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we'll be right back with uh, some very fine music by uh, a Toronto-based guitarist that I've just become familiar with. His name is Trevor Giancola, and we're going to hear some uh, tunes by him. But first... Do you like Friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off an anti-social skateboard shop, Devil May Wear, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. caught your attention. It also caught the attention of the coolest people from Squamish to Bellingham. Music fans, students, and members of various cultural communities. If you want your ad to do the same, advertise with CITR and Discorder. If you've got a rad new ad or just something you want to share, whether in print, on air, or online, promote your wares, services, or events with us. Contact us at advertising at citr.ca or call 604-822-4342. Visit citr.ca for rates, information, and packages. This is the end of our ad, and if you're still here, we must be doing something right. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. bit of uh, weather information for you. Today, of course, was absolutely gorgeous. And if you had the day off, uh, lucky you. It was just incredible weather today. Just so beautiful. Um, tonight is was basically clear, but the, you could see some clouds. And uh, tonight is partly cloudy. And then later on tonight, there'll be a little bit of wind and a 30% chance of a shower. And then tomorrow, uh, and a low of 14 then tomorrow is a mix of sun and cloud, uh, and then later on in the day, a 40% chance of a shower um, and a little bit uh, windy as well. Lows of 14 and highs up to 20. Wednesday is cloudy with a 70% chance of a shower with a low of 12 and a high of 15. Then brightening up for Thursday, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 11 and a high of 18. And then Friday and Saturday, sunny with lows 
of 12 and highs between 21 and 23 and maybe even a little hotter. So uh, those days are going to be really nice. Sunday doesn't look too bad either. It's a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 13 and a high of 22. So that's the, uh, that's the picture. Here is a very fine guitarist, and I'm, I'm quite intrigued with the tunes that he picked. Anybody that picks a tune or tunes by um, the great pianist uh, Elmo Hope um, has, has got my number. And I like the way this, uh, this gentleman plays. He obviously uh, has listened to the great guitarist Jimmy Rainey and also Jim Hall. And he's got a fine concept uh, on, on guitar. He's a Toronto-based musician, and his name is Trevor Giancola. And this is a brand-new album called Fundamental. And it features um, my good friend Neil Swainson on bass, who's originally from Victoria, and he's been a Toronto resident for many years, one of the finest bass players in North America. And on drums, a new name to me, Adam Aruda. And he's a, a Toronto-based musician. I like the way he plays, too. He's kind of a, uh, a tastefully aggressive drummer. And uh, he gives the uh, music some, some good energy, positive energy, without overplaying. So I like the way he plays, very clear as well. So we're going to hear these two Elmo Hope tunes. The first one was dedicated to Elmo's wife, Bertha Hope, who is still alive today and, and performing. She's a wonderful pianist. And um, he called this tune La Bertha. And the second tune is um, an Elmo Hope composition from the, his early days in New York City. And um, this tune is called simply Dida. And these two fascinating compositions by pianist Elmo Hope, played by Trevor Giancola and company. Thank you. 
Nice work by Ted Giancola, Trevor Giancola, a fine uh, young guitarist from uh, Toronto. And this is from his latest album called Fundamental. And um, you can actually access it if you get onto uh, your computer and just type in Trevor Giancola, T-R-E-V-O-R-G-I-A-N-C-O-L-A dot com. And uh, all one word. And uh, you'll get some uh, information on this young man. This is his uh, album with um, my good friend, the great Neil Swainson on bass, and a very fine drummer, Adam Aruda. And we heard two compositions by the late great genius um, composer and pianist. On He really operated on a par with uh, Thelonious Monk and Bud Powell and uh, didn't quite get the recognition that those two gentlemen got, but his name, Elmo Hope, and he wrote those two tunes. The first one was dedicated to his wife, Bertha, and it was called La Bertha, and the second tune was called Dida, Elmo Hope Compositions. Not easy to play, uh, very melodic and very simple-sounding. Try and play them, tough and um, challenging. And uh, Trevor Giancola did a great job on this album called Fundamental. We're going to turn now to one of my favorite tenor saxophone players uh, who was based on the West Coast for years and uh, deserved, I think, uh, a lot wider recognition. He was also a fine composer as well. But here he is playing with a little group that uh, was a regular working group for uh, several years, and they they did... um, several albums for um, Atlantic and Contemporary Records. This is uh, kind of an independent uh, uh, recording, and it was done at the Falcon's Lair in Los Angeles, which was owned by an heiress who, um, well, uh, she was the mistress of the piano player on here, a gentleman by the name of Joe Castro. Yeah, no relation to the other Castro, of course. Um, Joe, very, very fine pianist, and actually the leader of this band, uh, along with the great Leroy Vinegar on bass, and a young Billy Higgins on drums, and of course Teddy Edwards, the major voice on here on tenor saxophone. So we're going to hear two tunes, and um, the first tune, of course, is Charlie Parker's Great Blues, Billy's Bounce, and the second tune is a Gershwin tune that everybody knows, A Foggy Day in London Town. And here is Teddy Edwards, tenor saxophone, Joe Castro on piano, Leroy Vittinger on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. Here's Billy's Bounce. Thank you. 
couple of fine and rare pieces recorded at the uh, place called the Falcon's Lair. It was owned by uh, the great uh, heiress, uh, Doris Duke, who happened to be um, the mistress of the pianist on the date, Joe Castro. And um, <laughs> lucky guy. Um, and he led this little uh, band, um, which featured the great tenor saxophone work of Teddy Edwards, one of my favorites, uh, Leroy Vinegar on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. And they worked uh, together as a, as a working band and recorded uh, for several um, labels and um, contemporary Atlantic records, etc. And uh, were together for many years and sort of had a nice uh, real band feel. And uh, we heard two tunes by this band. Um, Billy's Bounce was the first one uh, by Charlie Parker. And the second tune was the uh, Gershwin classic, A Foggy Day in London Town. And uh, this, these two rare pieces recorded at the Falcon's Lair in Los Angeles in 1959. Joe Castro, pianist. And uh, uh, Joe had a good long life. Um, his relationship with Doris Duke uh, dissolved, but then he married someone else and uh, lived uh, primarily his last years in, in Las Vegas. He passed away in about 2008. Was um, a very, very fine pianist and, uh, of course, good band leader as well. So we heard these uh, rare tracks. We're going to turn our attention now to... Um, Actually, we're going to uh, let you know that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And uh, we have a couple of messages for you, and we'll be right back with some uh, some more music. So uh, stay around. For over 30 years, there has been one voice in the local Vancouver art scene that has stood above the rest, and that's Discorder, that conspiracy, punk rock, foxcore, sassy, still-publishing magazine from CITR. We're one of the established and trusted voices of Vancouver's music and arts culture in the Lower Mainland, with 8,000 copies distributed monthly to over 135 distribution locations, from the Lido to Zulu Records. Discorder is one of a few magazines published by a community radio station, and we only serve up the freshest local and Canadian goods. We have interviews with artists, album reviews, live show reviews, and articles about everything important to our crazy, unique, varied, and amazing culture in Vancouver and across the country. Pick up your free copy of Discorder today, or sign up to have it delivered to your door wherever you are. Check out our website for distribution locations and all the information about advertising and getting involved with Discorder. The most 
powerful motivational speeches that I have ever heard came from people who told me I couldn't do something. <laughs> you know why? Because when they told me I couldn't do it, I was bound and determined to show them that I could. Did you know CITR has an accessibility collective? Our new collective serves to explore issues of inclusion, equity, and accessibility for people with physical and cognitive disabilities on campus and beyond. If you love making radio, listening to radio, or want to get involved for the first time, come join our collective. We include people of all abilities, experience levels, and backgrounds in the production and programming of our show. Tune in to our weekly show, All Access Pass, from 5 to 6 p.m. on Thursdays for interviews, music, news, events, and awesome dialogues. If you want to get involved, email accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. If only I could dream we could start again. Yes, uh, we're also like to talk about a couple of very important websites. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And, of course, the big jazz festival is um, going to be in June. And all the final announcements uh, basically have been made. They're all up on the uh, Coastal Jazz website, which is coastaljazz.ca. You can buy tickets up there. You can reserve at uh, Frankie's, which, of course, is uh, one of the uh, great brand-new jazz clubs in Vancouver, Frankie's Italian Kitchen, and on Beatty Street, um, arrange for um, seats there and uh, admission charges and all that kind of stuff, and see the schedule uh, as well, up-and-coming uh, people that are going to be playing at Frankie's, and of course, there's going to be all kinds of great uh, happenings uh, with the Jazz Festival, which will also involve that um, very fine venue. So there you go. And uh, very soon, the um, media launch, which is the kind of the final announcement of uh, the all the performances that are going to take place at this year's Jazz Festival, will be happening uh, next week. So uh, stay tuned for uh, further announcements on that. But the best thing to do is get onto the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, coastaljazz.ca. That's where to go. And everything's on their very, very comprehensive website. They keep it really up to date. And, of course, another fine website is the website of uh, vancouverjazz.com, and that's a website run by my old friend Brian Nation. He keeps it up to date, and there's all sorts of links and uh, some very interesting stuff on that particular website, too, including uh, previews of our uh, jazz features uh, that we post uh, every week. And um, you can check that out. Uh, go to the forum and then check out Jazz on the Air, and that's where you'll see the uh, previews of uh, the various, various jazz features as, uh, as they happen over the weeks. So there you go. That's uh, a good one, VancouverJazz.com. And uh, one other thing, of course, I always mention my good friend Ken Speller, who is a music teacher. He teaches. He has a business called Music at Home, and uh, he comes to your home and will teach you how to play the flute, the clarinet, or the saxophone. 
give you advice on how to uh, purchase a quality instrument. Um, and, of course, another one of his talents is that he repairs musical instruments, specifically saxophones, clarinets, and flutes. And he's an expert at that, doesn't charge you an arm and a leg because his workshop is right in his home. And he's located in the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. He can be reached at 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. That's all one word, kspeller, S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. We're going to turn our attention to the great Jamaican-born alto saxophonist Joe Harriet, and uh, the late great Joe Harriet. Unfortunately, uh, he died um, in England, kind of uh, unrecognized, overlooked, and um, died poor and broke, kind of sad to say, because he is such a great musician, and he should be recognized. He was truly an innovator. He could play straight-ahead jazz, but he also did um, some great albums of, of very um, adventurous music as well, and had his own thing. He, he had no major influences on his style. I mean, obviously, he respected people like Charlie Parker and, and, and so on and so forth, but he had his own sound and his own style on the alto saxophone. But because he was based in England, he never got the kind of recognition that um, he would have got had he been based, say, in New York City. And uh, Joe Harriet is uh, just one of the uh, great unheralded musicians. We're going to hear one of his early albums. And uh, this actually... Um, was released in the U.S. on the small Jazzland label, which was a subsidiary of Riverside Records, but it was recorded in London in uh, the late 50s. And uh, the album is called Southern Horizons, and it's well worth uh, searching for. We're going to hear four tracks from that album. It features Joe Harriet on alto saxophone with Hank Shaw on trumpet, Harry South on piano, and another uh, uh, very fine musician from the West Indies, Coleridge Goode on bass, and Bobby Orr on drums. And we're going to hear some, um, some tunes, four tunes. We're going to hear two Harriet compositions. The first one is called Still Goofin'. second one is called Count Twelve, and that's a, that's a blues, of course, 12 bars. And then we're going to hear the great Horace Silver composition called Senior Blues and, the, and Joe Harriet's arrangement of that tune. And the final tune will be uh, another uh, tune by Joe called simply Jumpin' with Joe. So here then is the very individual styling of alto saxophonist Joe Harriet and company.
We heard four pieces by the great Jamaican-born alto saxophonist Joe Harriet. And, of course, Joe lived in London and uh, in England for uh, most of his life and uh, really made um, quite a splash for several years and, sad to say, kind of fizzled and uh, ended up um, dying uh, in abject poverty, sad to say. Um, so often the story of a great artist, and uh, Joe was certainly one of them, and a really um, individual and strong voice on the alto saxophone. And it shows how good these musicians are. This was an album recorded in about 1959, actually issued in the U.S., but recorded in, uh, in London and issued on the uh, Jazzland label. And uh, the album was called Southern Horizons, and uh, we heard four tunes from that and uh, these great musicians, Joe Harriet on alto saxophone, Hank Shaw on trumpet, Harry South on piano, Coleridge Good on bass, and Bobby Orr on drums. And uh, th- three of the four compositions were written by Joe Harriet, including the first two, uh, Still Goofin', the up-tempo thing, and the blues uh, called Count Twelve. And then we uh, heard a Horace Silver composition, a classic by Mr. Silver, called the Senior Blues. And then the final tune was uh, a little happy thing called Jumpin' with Joe, and another Joe Harriet composition. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, excerpt from uh, this album called Southern Horizons. We're going to celebrate the birthday, at least the birthday many years ago, of the great drummer Elvin Jones. And we're going to hear everybody in the club, uh, the Lighthouse at Hermosa Beach, um, sing Happy Birthday to Alvin. And then we're going to move into a a piece which was not on the original double um, LP album of this uh, band, which was one of the finest bands ever put together by Alvin Jones. Um, We're going to hear a a piece that was not on the the double LP set. And... uh, The band included the great Dave Liebman on soprano saxophone and one of my all-time favorites, Steve Grossman on tenor saxophone, Gene Perla on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums, and one of his finest groups. And I say this without reservation. So this album was recorded on Elvin's birthday, September 9th in 1972, and we're going to hear Happy Birthday, and then move to uh, a piece um, written by Dave Liebman called simply Bright Peace. So I hope you enjoy this, a little throwback in jazz history. First of all, hey, let's hear Happy Birthday to Elvin Jones.
Recorded on Elvin Jones' birthday, uh, which is, of course, September 9th, but back in 1972, and uh, one of the finest quartets that he led 
with two great saxophone players, um, Dave Liebman on soprano saxophone, and one of my all-time favorites, Steve Grossman on tenor saxophone, and Gene Perla on bass, and of course, the great Elvin Jones on drums. We heard two um, selections. The first one was uh, a birthday tribute to Elvin, and uh, everybody sung happy birthday for him. And then we moved into uh, Dave Liebman's um, piece entitled Bright Peace. And that featured an amazing, uh, amazing solos by both of the uh, saxophone players. And uh, Steve Grossman, I think, kind of stole the show on that one on tenor. Amazing player. Love Steve Grossman. Here is, um, or here are, a couple of pieces from um, an album called California Hard. And uh, that came out on the Xanadu label. Um, It's a hard-to-find album, but it's recently been reissued. And it's led by a very fine pianist who made his home. He was originally from the East Coast, but he made his home in Los Angeles for many years. And uh, he was a a very formidable uh, piano player, not a huge name, but uh, one of those guys that uh, was always hired because he, he knew all the tunes and he was uh, totally reliable and could really play. And uh, his name was Dolo Coker. And uh, he leads the band on here on piano. And the people he chose are very special. Art Pepper, one of my all-time favorites on alto saxophone. Blue Mitchell on trumpet. And Leroy Vinegar, once again on bass. And the great Frank Butler on drums. We're going to hear two tunes from this uh, set. We open with uh, a blues written by Art Pepper called Mr. Yo. But Mr. Yo is not spelled Y-O. It's actually a name of uh, a gentleman of Pepper's acquaintance. And um, his, although you pronounce his name Yo, it's spelled Y-O-H-E but pronounced yo, so the tune is called Mr. Yo. The second tune is a Dolo Coker composition called The Tale of Two Cities. So here then two tracks from this uh, wonderful album, California Hard. Pianist, Dolo Coker, and company. We begin, Mr. Yo. Thank you. 
That was a group of musicians led by a pianist, Dolo Coker, from a wonderful album called California Hard, recorded in 1976, just after Christmas, and in Los Angeles, of course. And Dolo Coker on piano, leading Blue Mitchell on trumpet, and the great Art Pepper on alto saxophone, Leroy Vinegar on bass, and Frank Butler on drums. And we heard two tunes. The first composition was entitled Mr. Yo. That's a blues by Art Pepper. And the second tune, the uh, Latin-flavored thing, was called A Tale of Two Cities. And that was written by Dolo Coker, the pianist and leader. Very fine album, and really nice to see it back on the market again on the Xanadu Master Edition series. And uh, some of those legendary albums that were done in the 70s um, when uh, straight-ahead jazz was kind of uh, pushed to the background and Xanadu kind of kept the the music alive by uh, um, issuing so many albums. And then, of course, uh, they're only now being issued on CD. Uh, and it's really nice to see them resurface again because... Uh, the label under uh, Don Schlitten um, recorded some classic jazz, and uh, we need it. It's worthwhile reissuing today. So that's what they're doing on the Xanadu Master Editions. Good stuff. We're going to close with a brand new album. He's 80 years old, he's one of the great jazz masters today. He lives in New York City. Um, He was the recipient of the prestigious Jazz Masters grant last year, which entitled him to a big um, financial hit and, of course, the honor. And I'm talking about tenor saxophonist George Coleman. We'll be hearing more from this album uh, in a future show. I'd just like to play you um, one track to close the show this evening from this album called A Master Speaks. And this is a blues written by George Coleman and dedicated to one of the first people that employed him when he was a young man in Memphis, Tennessee. And the person that employed him was none other than B.B. King. And George played the saxophone in B.B.'s band for uh, several years before moving on to Chicago and then moving on to New York and all the stuff that he did with Miles Davis and Elvin Jones and other bands. So here's George Coleman with the great Mike LaDon on piano, Peter Bernstein on guitar, Bob Cranshaw on bass, and George Coleman's son on drums, George Coleman Jr. And this is George's Blues for B.B.
great George Coleman on tenor saxophone. This is the first album he's uh, actually recorded in about 15 years, and uh, he just turned 80 years old and still sounding absolutely amazing. One of the great masters of jazz music and one of the most distinctive sounds on the tenor saxophone. Beautiful and clear and, uh, and rich. George Coleman on tenor saxophone with Mike LaDon on piano. Peter Bernstein on guitar, Bob Cranshaw on acoustic bass, and George's son, George Coleman Jr., on drums. And this is just one selection from this uh, very fine album, which has put, been put out by Smoke Records, and it's called Blues for BB. That's what we heard, dedicated to the first boss of George Coleman, the great BB King, that uh, hired George when he was uh, just a kid. Uh, back in Memphis, and uh, George was on his way after working with B.B. for a while. So he dedicated that tune to Mr. King. 
Blues for BB. We're going to hear more from this album. It's called A Master Speaks, and it's absolutely wonderful. George Coleman. All right, wrapping up another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR. Of course, our jazz feature next week will be a great album by Miles Davis, probably my very favorite album. So I, um, I guess I'm, I'm using a little personal bias here, but I maintain that this album that we're going to hear next week on the jazz feature is maybe one of the greatest albums ever recorded in jazz history. Uh, I stick my neck out on that, but that's my opinion. And uh, we'll play that album, and we'll see how you feel about it. Because um, if you have any liking for jazz at all, you're going to enjoy the album that we are going to feature next week. And, of course, it's the great Columbia album called Milestones and features the Miles Davis sextet with uh, John Coltrane and Julian Cannonball Adderley, Red Garland, Paul Chambers, and Philly Joe Jones. And, of course, Mr. Miles Dewey Davis. Celebrating this month the 90th anniversary of his birth. All right. Thanks very much for being out there on behalf of uh, myself, Gavin Walker, and radio station CITR broadcasting right out here at the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca, and we'll see you in seven days' time. So take care, and... uh, If the sun comes out, get to it. Enjoy it. Bye-bye. Do but